0: Good morning. Good morning. We are gathered together once again. It means a lot to me to say that this Sunday after being gone as long as I have. And while we were gone, Mary Lynn and I, Jane and Lee were out, so we're able to gather once again. And what a great day to worship the Lord with the support of our handbell ministry and choir. Let's begin by letting the Psalms kind of direct our lives. We've got a responsive reading from Psalm 24 beginning at verse 7. Lift up your head lift up your heads you gates be lifted up you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in Now who is the king of glory The Lord strong and mighty The Lord mighty in battle Lift up your heads you gates lift them up you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in Who is he this king of glory the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, keep a seat, but let's work to open our hearts and to receive, like the gates open to receive um, music ministry. The text of this hymn, as I understand, was written, it's one of the few hymns we have from John Calvin. So let's stand and sing to the glory of God. We have hymn number 586, I greet thee who my sure redeemer are. Amen, and have a seat if you would, please. Well, as I've already said, it's great to be together. Welcome those of you who are here on site that we can gather with one heart and one voice. But also, as we worship God, we're thankful for those who join us online by the live stream or by recording so that you can be a part, as it were, of the worship of the living God. It's good to be together. I was amazed. This live stream thing continues to surprise me. As Mary Lynn and I were out traveling, the number of people from previous churches where I served North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, how many had gotten to know Hardwick through the live stream. So it continues. I'm thankful for the effort that our folks have put in to make that possible uh, and glad for it. Uh, After worship, uh, stay for a moment. We'll gather for coffee, and conversation. I'll pick up at about 1030 with my usual kind of service follow through. question and answer time. Always glad to kind of get a sense of what folks are wondering, questions you have, interact like that. We're into the summer schedule, and so let me, again, just kind of cast our direction for that. With children's ministry, we've got a little different schedule for the summer. We will continue to have a staffed nursery for kids. Um, through the whole service. That's about age three on down, as I understand. There's resources in the pews. I know a number of folks are picking those up for themselves. We're glad to share the kids' stuff with all of you, so that's all good. We have space in the balcony kind of set up for uh, family-friendly with uh, quiet kids. If kids are a little more active, there's space with a feed in the um, library. What we will not be having is the K through grade three, Sunday school, and that just for the summer. So a lot continues, but there is that one change. Another thing that's important for me to highlight for this day is our congregational vote of affirmation. You have gotten information about uh, new people on the council, electing those as others rotate off. If you voted online, that will be your vote. If you want to vote by a paper ballot, those are in the back. And uh, Christine has more. If you would just turn to the back and kind of wave at her, you can get a paper ballot and then return that in the offering box. So, that information has gone out. Uh, This is our day. I'm thankful for those who uh, will be a part of this step and for those who have served across time, so many of you. Um, The other thing I wasn't able to do last week, but I want to do for this week is say thank you to the volunteers. Um, I stand up here on Sunday. But it's other folks that get to coffee, that get to donuts, that work with children, that get things done in so many different ways. And I was particularly excited while we were away to watch the service from the 21st when so many hard awake and celebration people talked about their overseas missions work. God—one of things I look for to kind of get the pulse of a congregation is not the strength of the history or of the pastor, but what is God doing among his people? And when I see life and ministry among the people of God, I'm going, oh yeah, that looks like a church. So hugs and kisses, thanks is what Christine said. Most of you don't want a hug or a kiss for me. Yeah, that's fine. But thanks to all who make ministry happen. Uh, As I mentioned, Mary Lynn and I were out for about three weeks. Uh, We're thankful for those who carried on and for all that we saw go through that. We had a great time with family and taking care of some things that way. The other thing that happened that you would know I couldn't pass um, was while we were away, Tim Keller uh, succumbed to the pancreatic cancer that had been a part of his journey for two years. Um, I've made no secret of the influence that Tim has had on my life. I refer to him as my gospel Yoda, because he's helped me see, not that I want to become like Tim Keller, but Tim has helped me see what it's like to be faithful so that I, like him, might be more like Jesus. Jesus. In the celebration in form, I've included a couple of the memorials to Tim, including one that I found very fascinated by uh, Cardinal Timothy Dolan, the New York City uh, Archbishop, as I believe, so that you can see a fellow Christian leader in the same city, what he had to say of him. Tim's dying words were, I can hardly wait to see Jesus. He wasn't taken by the books he'd read, read, read or written. He wasn't taken by the amazing church that God had used him to plant or the things he held or the things he did. All of those were things that drew him to and grew out of a walk and a relationship with Jesus. So powerful stuff. Do remember that. and. Uh, consider that. A couple of quick slides. One of the upcoming ministries for our summer is Adventure Week beginning Monday evening, June 26. Uh, We'll gather elementary age kids, share the gospel and ministry with them for four nights. Um, I know a number of you are involved. If you'd like to get involved with that or bring kids, there's room and opportunity there. And remember, we say it often, but I want to keep saying it again and again. Our vision at Hardawike is to invite everyone, both here and those beyond our walls, invite everyone to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. Just as Tim would come to the end of his life and be excited about Jesus, our goal in all things is to cultivate that heart and that commitment as well. Um, At this point, let's begin to head towards prayer, but I'd like to do that by starting with a handbell piece. As we begin our summer sermon series, one of the things I'll say again and again is that prayer is about conversation. It's about interaction. It's not about how I express myself or how I make an impact on my world or surroundings. It's a conversation that shapes me. So let's stand and sing together, May the Mind of Christ Our Savior. Will you do that with me? Amen, and have a seat. We learn the faith as the Holy Spirit teaches us often through the words and faithfulness of others. So I'd like to begin this morning um, our time of prayer with a reflection on the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism questions 116, 117, and 118 are a historic expression of biblical Christian faith with regard to prayer. So, let me begin with this question. Why do Christians need to pray? Let's answer. Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. Next question, what is the kind of prayer that pleases God and that He listens to? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God revealed to us in His Word, asking for everything God has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on His unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what God promised us in His Word. Let's turn to the Father and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us in Jesus. Thank you that through what he did on the cross for me and for all humanity, that the door has been opened, that no longer are we simply creatures stamped with your image, but as our faith responds to your offer of grace, we become deeply loved, fully adopted children of the King. And so our Prayer becomes not so much seeing and speaking of sovereign majesty as it is seeing a sovereign majestic God who has loved us at the cost of his own son and called us his children. We thank you for the grace that brings us into the place of prayer. This Sunday, Father, we pray for Awake Ministries. Thank you for this umbrella of service and worship and discipleship. We pray particularly for our summer sermon series that begins in all three communities today. Teach us to pray, we've called it, as we take up the words of the disciples. We see in the Lord Jesus a life of prayer that calls us to take one step forward this summer. Guide us and be with us in that. Be with us in the ministry schedule we sense you've called us to, our adventure week, a great escape during the course of the week, summer serve, later, our weekly worship, the the meetings, the Bible studies, the opportunities. Father, help us not simply be busy, but to be fruitful in your presence and joining you in your good work. We pray right now for Pastor Aaron and for the community of Watershed, our sister church, that in your grace, you would anoint his words and continue your work there. For Pastor JB and Fusion that will meet later today and just across the hall. Again, we thank you for this expression of your body. And for Mission and Pastor Florencio that will be right where we are in just a few hours, proclaiming your gospel and your love in the Spanish language. Thank you that you are at work in our world, even in the midst of the brokenness and craziness and confusion. That is our hope. Help us to join you in that. We pray too for celebration, Father, this particular expression of of Hardawike's ministry as we gather to worship, as we gather to weep with one another and to rejoice with one another, namely to share life as Jesus gives it. We thank you for those in our midst who are graduating, particularly uh, Ruth Jempozic and Henry Fogg, as they finish the race of high school. Guide them in their next steps that they might do more than simply pursue their career, but that they might answer your calling that shows itself in all that they do from here. We send them in your love. Father, we pray too for those among us who are lonely. Or overwhelmed, hard-pressed by disease or brokenness. Thank you that you've called us to share one another's burdens. Teach us this summer how we can do that powerfully with the ministry of prayer. Take a minute right where you are and just in the silent sanctuary of your hearts, as I often say, lift up the needs uh, the yearnings that you're aware of just in your own circle of relationships. The Father can hear every heart. Lift these to, to a good Father. Father, you teach us to pray for those in authority over us, and so this week in our cycle, we pray for Hardaway's Church leadership, elders and deacons, the council, our staff, Uh, We pray for all those who are in teaching positions and discipling positions. We pray for uh, our vote today related to counsel. Lord God, we thank you that you've raised up uh, institutions of authority like this, not so much to pull together our wisdom as it is to gather mature people to seek the mind of Christ and to lead us as your body into that. We pray, too, for our missionaries, specifically for Zach and Christy Yoder in Nigeria and for their family and the people they work with, translating the scripture many times into languages that have never had your word in writing. Be with them. Father, thank you for those who guide and teach us in our prayer and in our life. I thank you for Tim Keller, and I thank you for men like Scotty Smith, who's helped me learn to pray. And I'll use Scotty's words from just this Thursday. Father, like the blind man that Jesus healed, there's a lot we don't know. But there is one thing that should define us more than anything else. And that thing is the certainty of what you have done for us. Jesus, you didn't just give us eyes to see you. You also gave us a new heart. You also gave us your perfect righteousness, and you give us the assurance of eternal life. Hallelujah, and thank you. Lord God, we thank you for the great promises of the Scripture. Hear our prayer, even as Jesus taught us, we pray in this way, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe it's in Psalm 22 that the psalmist writes of the Lord being enthroned upon the praises of his people. And that word praises is a fairly unique word. I won't give you all the background, but I remember discovering it was a kind of spontaneous, almost heavenly, God-given song. And so this vision, even as we were singing to the glory of God, of him enthroned upon Uh, our praises. Well, we begin a new sermon series this week, and we'll be preaching through the Lord's Prayer, um, statement by statement by statement. And one of the things that I will be a part of is giving you resources. Now, we are already laughing about this among our preaching team. They keep saying, Bill, only one thing. I've been pursuing the life of prayer as a journey, step-by-step for 50 years. And I want to say that the one thing I encourage you to pray for and to look for this summer is what is your one next step? Take a step so that by September uh, you can have a different life of prayer because of what God is doing here. My goal is not to preach a series of inspiring sermons. My prayer is that Jesus himself might take you one step further in the life of prayer and whatever that looks like. For this morning, two resources that I will mention is a bookmark um, that becomes a framework for prayer. You know, you spell pray, P-R-A-Y. Well, this, in the Lord's Prayer, you'll see a time of praise, a time of repentance, a time of asking, and a time of yielding. I've used the ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. There's another sort of framework, and frameworks can be helpful as we take these steps. The book that I'll be kind of walking with, actually, in all three of our congregations, is this one. You've seen it in the Celebration Inform. It's called Praying the Lord's Prayer by J.I. Packer. And it's a great short book week by week, about five or ten minutes to thoughtfully think through um, his chapter would be of great benefit. So I encourage you, I can get copies of this, or you can get it at Amazon. Uh, You let me know what's most helpful. Let me just read to you some of what Packer says. He begins on this week's Teach Us to Pray. He writes, praying to God is a problem for many today. Some go through the motions with no idea why. Some have exchanged prayer for just quiet thought or maybe transcendental meditation. Most, perhaps, have given prayer up entirely. Why the problem? The answer, it seems, as I listen, is clear. People feel a problem about prayer because they muddle, because of the muddle they are in about God. If you're uncertain whether God exists Or whether he is personal or good or in control of things or even if he's concerned about ordinary folk like you and me you're bound to conclude that praying is pretty pointless not to say trivial and then you just won't do it I hope you hear in that Packers invitation to to kind of be honest before the Lord and wrestle with the deep questions it's a good book he writes on praying like singing Ah, which we've just done, is something you learn to do not by reading books, not even this one, he says, but by actually doing it. And it is so natural and spontaneous an activity that you can become quite proficient in it without ever reading it up. Yet, as voice training helps you to sing better, so others' experience and advice can help us pray for better purpose." So by learning about prayer, the goal is to release us that we might be part of praying. He writes again, one last paragraph, but as another pianist's interpretation of a piece of music can help a budding musician to see how he can best play it, not perhaps in quite the same way, but still to hear it. So we are helped to find our own way in prayer by seeing how others have prayed and indeed by praying along with them. So that's J.I. Packer in his book, Praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's turn to the scripture. Read, pray. There we go again. And then I want to open up some of those texts for you. The text for this morning is from Luke chapter 11 verses 1 through 4, and then I'll end with Hebrews chapter seven, twenty-five. This is where Jesus answers the question of his disciples. Jesus, will you teach us to pray? So out of reverence for the word of God and appreciation for his love in giving us this, I'm going to ask you, as you're able, right where you are, to stand as I read. Can you do that with me? Thank you. <clears throat> one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Later on, the writer of Hebrews would give us these words. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he, that is Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, if you would please. Father in heaven, we thank you that Matthew, who would have listened to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and Luke, who would have picked up from one of the disciples an eyewitness account of Jesus teaching his inner circle. We thank you that those words and those settings were recorded, committed to writing, under the leadership and inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And now you've preserved those texts across centuries And we're able to open them, as it were, to translate, to prayerfully study and uh, receive all that you have for us. Father, guard us from my brokenness, I pray each week. But thank you that you condescend to speak your marvelous treasures, even through uh, broken vessels, pots of clay. Give us a great hope and a joy in all that you are and all that you have done for us. Thank you for this day together. And all of God's people sit together, amen and amen. Teach us to pray. If I were to take one phrase to kind of centralize where I want to focus today, it would be the title. To pray like Jesus, we need to think of prayer as the point of intersection. Now, you geometry buffs know that you can take two different things, two lines, and where they intersect, there's a point. Two planes, if you want to be even more dimensional, And there's a point at which they come together even as they cross these planes in a larger way. Prayer as the point of intersection. Learning to pray like Jesus is standing between God and the world. His transcendent spiritual life in us, in the life we live in this world. The Lord's Prayer is recorded two different times in the course of the Gospels. One is in the book of Matthew, and it's said in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Here is Jesus speaking to all who are here, and He teaches them, when you pray, pray like this. The other time is in the Gospel of Luke. And His disciples have watched Jesus pray, and then one of them goes and says, Lord, teach us to pray, and it says that Jesus taught them to pray in this way, okay? The Lord's Prayer, as we have it, was a regular part of Jesus' teaching. We see it there in Matthew. We see it in Luke. Luke. We learn some things from these two different ways. First of all, in the similarities, we see the core of what's there. But in the variety, the differences, we see as well that it was not meant as some holy form or prescription. Repeat these words just as you have them. Once is good, if once is good, every guy knows the answer to this, then two must be better. And three is best of all. Unless, of course, you get to four. Because there's some variety, because we see Jesus teaching this same core principles in two different settings, we realize that Jesus has given us a model and not a m- mantra. He wants us to see that prayer is about encounter. It's about Communing with God. In John 10, he uses this language about hearing the voice of a shepherd. Hearing the voice, probably not with the eardrums, but certainly in the stirrings of the heart, the collecting thoughts of the mind, there's an opportunity to commune with the living God. It's a point of intersection where the transcendent intersects with the imminent. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in particular make a presence in the life of real human beings. Namely, friends, you and me. So it was uh, Pastor Aaron who talked about we have a model, not a mantra. A mantra is the repetition of a form. We're not given a form to repeat in this. Indeed, in Matthew chapter 6, before Jesus gives this in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not heap up empty pr- phrases. Don't pray in this way. And I love the different ways it's translated. Um, in the King James, it says, do not use vain repetitions. So prayer is to be more than just a repeated one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. The New International Version says, do not keep on babbling. And I love the New Living Translation, which I've been reading through uh, through the course of this year. It's stated this way, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. You see, there's a different form of prayer than Jesus is pointing to. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And then he gives them the Lord's prayer. So it's not in the repetition of a particular Form, But there's a structure and a model and a support. You know, I, years ago, I would <laughs> run. It's a, a little hard for me to do that. But when I was trained, I always had markers for my daily training. I knew where I was in the training for that day. Even now, when I go to the gym, I know I'm going to spend this much time on the elliptical. And then, depending on the day, I have a variety of weights. I have a form that I do and that I follow, the Lord's prayer is given to us in that same sort of way. I would even go so far to say that if prayer were music, it would be like jazz, where the forms of music, where the scales, where the chord structures are then played out in the moment played out in the spontaneity of that thing and so that's the direction we want to go with this prayer was Jesus regular practice if you'll read through the gospels we'll find Jesus at prayer 25 different times he prays alone he prays in public he prays before meals he prays before important decisions he prays before he ministered to somebody with healing he prays after he ministers to someone with healing he prays to do the father's will While he was on the cross, he prayed publicly three times. And he also taught about the nature of prayer 10 different times, parables, statements, contrasting with the Gentiles or with the Pharisees. It was his regular practice. Because Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as an insight into the model that guided his prayer, I believe Jesus prayed regularly. Give us this day our daily bread. And that prayer began to shape his heart so that after praying that daily for years, there'd come a moment, John records it, where he would meet a Samaritan woman at a well and he would minister God's grace, the message of grace to her. And then when his disciples came back with food, he would say, I have a food to eat that you know nothing about. That's a person who's prayed, give us this day our daily bread. Do you see how that regular practice changed and focused the ministry of Jesus right where he was? A few months, year after that, in John 6, Jesus has been ministering to the crowd. And once again, a crowd that's huge, 5,000 of this crowd was, was men. But with two loaves and, I, I'm sorry, two fish and five loaves, he was able to feed all of those people because he had prayed, give us this day our daily bread. He knew that his father would provide and that this was the moment. Indeed, in the reading this morning, we heard Hebrews seven twenty-five. therefore... Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus lives to intercede for us. He is at work praying for us. When we pray, we simply join who he is and what he's doing. So the Lord's prayer is a model, not a mantra. We see that it's a model for Jesus. And so for us, it can be a model prayer as well in itself. We pray the Lord's Prayer together on Wednesday nights at community night dinner and there's a coming together of every voice and every heart in that way. We use that model. I'm amazingly aware that each time we do that, we are praying with Christians from around the world this same prayer in a variety of languages. Jesus is not concerned, whether it's English or Spanish or Chinese or Farsi or Arabic He says, pray this way. The Lord's Prayer can also be an outline of prayer. One of the things that I was discipled in in my prayer life early on was to take each segment of the Lord's Prayer as kind of the the chapter title that I would pray through and then write more on that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I would gather, as I read through the Old Testament, the covenant names of God. Do you know that God in the Old Testament reveals himself as Jehovah Ropha, the Lord our healer? So I needed to know the names of God as I hallowed his name. Jehovah Tzidkinu, the Lord who is my righteousness. Jesus came in answer to that prayer. And he teaches us to keep focusing on him. Thy will be done. On that segment of the prayer, I would pray for my daily schedule and for planned encounters, and yes, for the unplanned encounters. And so it was an outline of prayer. I've used it as well at times as a week of prayer. Monday is our Father in Heaven day, hallowed be thy name. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on. And so, friends, it's a model, not a mantra. As I give you resources for the, through the course of the summer, my goal would not be that you read every book, read every paper, experiment with every uh, spiritual practice, but that instead you would begin to ask, what's my next step? Do you see the difference? Plenty of resources. I've been collecting them for 50 years. I've had seasons where different ones bore different fruit, and that's all good but press in and go. If we're going to learn to pray like Jesus, to live in this point of intersection, then we're going to need to get a clarifying vision. We're going to need to learn to pray not on the world's terms. You know, it's not unusual for folks to kind of reverence prayer think, oh, prayer is a good thing. Oh, I hope everybody's praying. Well, let me encourage you to take a step back from that, particularly as you examine your own heart. Oftentimes, because our world is filled with such a perspective about all that's here is what I call each week the imminent frame. All that we live in can be explained by psychology or social forces or physics or chemistry. I want to tell you, praying like Jesus means that we recognize the world, but we remember as well the transcendent, the spiritual, the supernatural, the something more than just social forces or physics. There's more going on. Prayer in the imminent frame will never be the prayer after Jesus' own name because prayer in this imminent frame is always concerned with the question, what's in it for me? I've had folks, and I've struggled with this myself, but they'll say, Oh, I've quit praying because when I pray, nothing happens. Are they only, am I only looking at what happens in my imminent frame in my world? I've read studies where folks have said, Oh, people who pray tend to have lower blood pressure. Now, that's not a bad thing. I'm taking medication for that, true moments. Low blood pressure is a good thing, but that's an imminent frame benefit. And if you think prayer is only about the physical benefits, about changing your circumstances, about changing your emotions, you're missing an important dimension of what Jesus calls us to. It's not just about the world's terms, it's about meeting Jesus. And so, as we enter into that, this greater sense of transcendence, and when I use this word transcendence, I'm thinking big and generic. A portion of that transcendence is spirit, and a portion of that is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, all that is transcendent When I see beauty and am touched by something deep within, all that is transcendent may not be the Holy Spirit of God. All that is spiritual may not be the Holy Spirit of God. I've had encounters and observed things that are clearly something beyond physics happening and clearly something evil. So we need to be aware that we're not talking here, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he's not just saying, ah, any old spirit will do. Not at all. There's differences, friends. I've been looking into the Muslim prayer life um, and I've got a lot to learn yet. I've written some friends who work with Muslims and who have Muslims as neighbor, regular interaction. But something I've observed is I've tried to understand more about the Muslim prayer life. I see a lot of writing about how to pray, that is, posture. I see a lot of writing about when to pray, that is, five times a day and more. And I see a lot of things about what to pray, they're all statements about their God, Allah. I'm not finding at this point any expression of conversation. You see, I think there's a difference. Our God and Father. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, wants to commune with us. He's not so distant that he can only send a word by a prophet. He wants to be with us and to guide us, to encourage us, to convict us of sin, not just give us behaviors to follow. I'm reading a lot about a practice that apparently is becoming more and more common, particularly outside the church, called manifesting. This Monday, the Atlantic Monthly had an article called The Aspects of Manifestation We Shouldn't Discount. And they go on in this to say, learning to manifest helps us get in touch with what our hearts really desire. And then you see the goal is to know what to do because my heart desires that. I can make it happen. I want to tell you, that's not the Holy Spirit. Many times as I get in tune with what's really deep in my heart, you know what I need to do? Repent. One of the worst things on the planet would be to take some of the things in my heart. Oh, Pastor Bill, now I'm interested. Go on. Let me just suggest to you that Some of the things in my heart should not be manifest in this world. I should repent and take them to the cross. You see, prayer is not about taking what I want and finding a spiritual power to change my circumstances. It's about meeting the spirit of redemption. And being shaped and changed by it. This is why as we talk about prayer, we're going to need to dig into an issue of discernment. Discernment is about being able to distinguish or understand difference between two things or ideas. More often than not, it's between two things, not that are opposite, but that are sort of similar. But there's a little bit of difference. Some of you have faced this. Have you ever been to a restaurant and they said, what kind of protein would you like? And what they mean by that is, do you want beef or chicken or pork or seafood? Now, those are all a kind of meat, a kind of protein, but if you have a seafood allergy, you need to be able to discern and distinguish the difference. Do you see? If you're going to pray, you're going to need to be able to discern. And distinguish what is Holy Spirit and what is not. I love this statement by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference between right and yeah, almost right. Heresy, as seminary students are taught it and study, heresy always has a good deal of truth with it. They just... Drop one truth or add another truth. Points of growth in my own prayer life have been about turning away often from false notions of prayer. About re my heart in line with who Jesus is and the content of the gospel. About moving from 60% to 75%. And it's that remaining 25% that I'm asking God to change in my life each day. Because you see, at the end of the day, friends, if we're going to take another step in our prayer life, if we're going to see the kind of uh, life in us that we see in Jesus as he prays, we need to come to grips with the gospel because the gospel changes everything. He teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let me close by telling you about a step in my own life many, many years ago very very busy season for me I was still figuring out what it was to be a husband our family was growing I had to figure out how to be a father the church was growing I pastored a church where in six years we grew about 600% give or take 10% I had a lot of church stuff to do but in the midst of that I remember a time of getting away that Mary Lynn and the kids and I took, and after we've gotten everybody else to bed, I sat down with a book called The Prayer Life by a 19th century South African Dutch Reformed pastor, Andrew Murray. And I'd always heard about Andrew Murray. People that I respected, Billy Graham, Francis Schaeffer, talked about learning to pray from Andrew Murray's books. And so I said, if it's good enough for them be good enough for me. And so three previous times, at least, I'd started on Andrew Murray books and they were like bricks to me. I'd start them and because I'm German and disciplined, I'd read them. But one night in the Blossman's little beach house, sitting in a green recliner, I opened that book, The Prayer Life. And you know what chapter one was? The sin of prayerlessness. And I don't know about you, but when you hear about the sin of prayerlessness, how do you respond? This is where I want you to ask. I'll tell you how I responded. Very often, we start and we, we sense a conviction about sin, and we say, oh, yeah, that's a problem, that's sin. And the first thing we feel is shame and failure, and I feel bad. I want to tell you something. If you stop right there, you won't understand anything I'm about to tell you. I understand the response to conviction of shame and sorrow. Find place to stop. But Jesus has more, and that's the gospel. A lot of church people at that first moment of conviction and that sense of shame begin to think, okay, I'd better try harder. And, you know, there's some progress that comes with that. I've made some progress in my life by trying harder for about that long. And what happens then is after I've felt that conviction or shame, given it a better try and failed, the shame is just bigger. You ever felt that way? Well, then I decide to not only try better, but get some better resources. I'm gonna get an app on my phone. And that does well for, well, about that long. And then my best effort and this great new prayer structure fail again. But if that's all you know, I wanna tell you Jesus has more. And that's what I discovered that night at the Blossoms cottage. When I began to see through the words of Andrew Murray that Jesus was calling me to face my prayerless life as sin, I suddenly realized that sin can be taken care of. That's the gospel. That's what the cross is about. That I needed to deal with my sin of prayerlessness at the cross of Christ that Jesus who set me free from sin, that's what we believe in the gospel, isn't it? Why would it be that when I face the sin of my own prayerless life, I've got to then fix it when for any, and I'm going to say every other sin we struggle with, God's answer is the gospel, Jesus on the cross. Suddenly I realized, whoa, I'm saying I'm busy. I'm saying I've got these demands. I'm saying I've got all these things happening in my life, but there's something deeper. And I'm going to call that sin. But rather than struggle with my sin by trying harder, by going to a seminar, by getting an app, by getting a book, I've all my life been good. When I got a problem, I get a book. Anybody relate to that? I had to learn that in the moment of that conviction, I had to go to the cross. And there, in the place of prayer, my heart would change. And my heart would say, Jesus, teach me. And Jesus would teach me. It's a relationship. It's communion. It's a point of intersection. It's how Jesus lived his life. It's how he calls us to live his. Now. I told you I wanted you to do one thing, and I've given you three resources already, you see. But you can get this book, The Prayer Life by Andrew Murray, and you can get it free. I have discovered if you add a Kindle app to your phone or iPad or computer, many of these books are available for free. But whether this book or another, whether you just diligently come and reflect on what I have to say on Sunday, Whatever it is, prayerfully ask God, what is the next step? For me, it was beginning to see that my hard heart was a matter of sin, socially acceptable sin, because after all, I was a pastor of a growing church, but that I needed to take that sin to the cross. It's important that we do that, it seems to me, because of the times we're living in. Do you ever feel like the world is just flooding you? I want to tell you that Jesus shows us life of prayer as if it were breathing. And I want to have you picture something comes up in your life or your family and suddenly you're underwater. Can you survive by breathing through a straw from underwater? Sort of. And if it gets really deep, I suggest duct tape, but I wasn't that bold. I'm just using painter's tape. You get two straws. It can be deeper. And you can still breathe. Or you can breathe through a snorkel. The person who gave me the snorkel said, oh, you're so right. And I feel like in my life, I need scuba tanks. I don't even know where the surface is. But there's hope in the midst of that. And it's not from trying harder, it's from taking our inadequacy to the cross. If you're here and you think, Pastor Bill, my prayer life is more like that. I'm glad you're here. No guilt, no shame. Think of the gospel. Any God who would lay aside his glory And take on human flesh and say, I'll take the hit for Bill or or for you. I'll take the hit unto death. That God will meet you in the place of prayer. He'll take your prayer life, whatever it may be. He'll meet you in whatever challenges you face. That love can change your life. It's a point of intersection. It's a point where Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. It's that point that he wants to give to us. Let's turn to the Father and pray. Oh Lord, our God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a comfort and an encouragement to everyone within the sound of my voice. Help us to lay aside whatever sense of shame or inadequacy we may have brought and perhaps lay that to the side and receive the fullness of all that you desire to give. And I'm praying right now, Father, that that fullness would show itself, not so much in in this moment, but that it would show itself over the course of this summer as by your grace and your unique and wonderful way, you help us all to take our own next one step in the life of prayer whether a book or a practice or a relationship. Help us to learn to pray in such a way that our access to you and to the refreshing presence of your spirit would only increase. That you refresh us, that we might refresh others. That you'd give us uh, uh, the oxygen that would let us go deep in other places and rescue other people, whatever it may be. But guide us into the life of prayer, Father. For you've called us, and all that you have called us to do and to be, you would, by your grace, provide for us. Thank you for this day and for all that you've done. Thank you that your response to us has not been in terms of what we deserve, but it comes from who you are. For God is love, John the Apostle said. So we seek you and we discover you in fresh and anew that you yourself are the love divine, all loves excelling. We thank you for your marvelous grace. Even as we pray in the name that opens the door and invites us in, the name Jesus and all of God's people set together. Amen amen. amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand and let's close with this. um, Stand as you're able and let's close and, and with this hymn 351. Charles Wesley, love divine, all loves excelling.